we're thankful that God is a God who loves people, and uh, he's always reaching out to us. Did you know that he didn't come, God didn't come to make people feel horrible or to judge everybody? Did you know that? He said he actually wanted nobody to perish. He wanted everybody to be in relationship with him. But anyhow, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I want to get to today's message. Uh, We've been speaking on a series called Saved to Live. Now, those who have been in church for a while know that salvation means you've prayed and asked Christ to come in your life and forgive your sins. And many understand, okay, my sins are forgiven, that's good, that means I have a place in heaven. But often we forget that Christ wants us to live now. He wants us to live full. He wants us to live free. And so we've done a few messages in the series now. We did saved to live abundantly, saved to live free. But today, specifically, I want to talk about the fact that we are saved to live eternally. And does everybody know what the word eternally means? Forever or ongoing beyond here and now. Okay? And when I say saved eternally, if you're not comfortable with that word, maybe you're more comfortable with the fact that the question people ask, is there life after death? See, often we look at life here as this is all there is. Is there life after death? Is there something beyond ongoing? I'm going to start today with a story. It's a story about a lady named Mary. You see, Mary grew up in church, Sunday school. She knew God and even believed in Jesus. But as time went on, Mary became a successful surgeon, a wife, a mother of four amazing kids. And Mary bought into the idea that you had to choose science or faith. You couldn't have both. And unfortunately, she chose science in her mind. And she became that successful surgeon, and she didn't even know if she really believed anymore that there was a God or that there was anything after life. And she definitely didn't have time for church in Jesus anyhow. Well, one year, Mary took a trip and went on a holiday with a number of friends to South America, and they were on a kayak adventure, kayaking down a river. And the river had twists and turns and rapids and some waterfalls. As Mary approached the next waterfall, she didn't think it would be a big problem, but suddenly, without understanding how she was trapped beneath the waterfall with broken bones in both legs, and herself and the kayak were pinned beneath 10 feet of water. Mary was a surgeon and didn't panic at anything, and she didn't panic. She began trying to free herself and trying to free her kayak as she was under the water with the current pinning her there. After a while, she realized she wasn't going to get free. At that moment, Mary prayed, God, have your will. Your will be done. Mary said that at that moment... She felt arms come around her and she knew it was Jesus, the very Jesus she no longer believed in. And he comforted her and he told her, everything's going to be all right. She said then it was as if 
He began to show her things in her life from the past, situations and even painful situations. And he helped her understand each of these situations as she went. She said somewhere in this process she felt herself rising from 10 feet beneath to the surface and finally above the water. And she said as she was above the water it was like she met with people or angels. She wasn't sure but they were glowing and there was this great peace. And it was at that moment that even though she was in this other place or dimension, she could see her friends who were still looking for her. And she found out later that she was beneath the waterfall for 30 minutes. And her friends were pulling her out. And her body was purple and already starting to bloat from the water. They pulled her out and they began CPR. And as Mary was in this presence, seeing that, She said to herself, I'm not going back. She loved her life, her husband, her kids, her surgeon job, but she determined, I don't want to go back. This feels too good. This is home. You see, she was experiencing the feel of heaven. But even as she said, I don't want to go back, Christ said to her, it's not your time where you're going to go back. She said, no, I don't want to, and His answer to that was to give her a list of things that she had yet to do and yet to go through. And not all of them were fun. He gave her the list, showed her clearly, and just like that, she woke up in her body breathing. Mary was a surgeon and as she recovered from her broken bones, she also researched everything she could find on near-death experiences Because she thought, well, maybe I was just hallucinating. Maybe it was just my brain. But she came to the conclusion this was most definitely a life after death experience. You see, life after death, is it real? Is there eternity beyond here? I want to say to you, yes, there most definitely is. You see, Mary's story of life after death is one of millions In the U.S. alone, there are over 20 million people who recount life-after-death experiences. And even atheists who believe there is no God who have had these experiences, 75% of them come back and say, I met with God or Jesus. Yes, I believe without a doubt there is an eternity, there is life after death, and the Bible clearly tells us there is such a place. I'm going to go to Scripture here and give you some pictures of heaven, the eternity that we know and can experience as believers. Scripture tells us there are two places that people spend eternity One of those places that I'm not going to go into detail with today, but I do have to mention, is a place called hell. And hell is basically the opposite of heaven. But eternity, Christ paid a price for you and I. And in John 3, 14 to 17, we read this. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Did you catch that? He wants us to live eternally, but he wants us to live eternally with him. Remember the beginning of time when God created it all? He wanted a relationship with people. He wanted them to spend time with him. Well, eternity is going to be spending time with him for those who receive Christ. And it will be amazing. I'm going to give you some glimpses of what heaven will look like from Scripture. But before I do, let's read this important verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, This is what the Scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You see, God has prepared something amazing, but I want you to know this, it is beyond what your mind can figure out. So today, as we read some scripture about glimpses of heaven, if you can't completely understand it, that's okay. Scripture says you won't. You see, if the heaven God was preparing us, if we could figure it all out with this mind, it probably wouldn't be that great of a heaven. He is the creator of the universe. And he's created something beyond our imagination. But he gives us some glimpses, some pictures of what it will be like. You see, in John chapter 14 and verse 2, Jesus tells us he's going to prepare a place for us. He tells us in chapter, two, uh, chapter 14, verse 2, he says this. He says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. He's going to give us a place so that we can be with Him. Jesus wants people to be where He is. So know this, there is a place, and there's a place being prepared. In Revelation chapter 7, and verse 9, we get another picture, and this is one of my favorite pictures of heaven. It tells us that all people will be together worshiping Him. So Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, if we can bring that up. It says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You see, a picture of heaven, one that you can know, is that it will be a place of worship with many people worshiping the Lord altogether. Now, they didn't actually roar, but it was the revelator seeing such a huge crowd, it sounded like a roar. Maybe some of you have been to sporting events where everybody's shouting at the same time and it's just... That was heaven. But yet, John the revelator, as he saw it, also heard words specific that were worshiping God. The thing I love most about this glimpse of heaven is that it's people from every nation and every tribe. I believe that worship should have 
people from all over the place worshiping together. As your pastor, I don't think you should look for a place that only has people that look and act just like you. Worship with everybody that God's put around you. But how cool is that going to be when we reach heaven and we get to just worship together who we are? You know, people worship differently and that's completely okay. Maybe you're a really calm person and you worship differently than someone who's more excited. That's all right, but let's worship together. And let's worship from who we are. And let's be free with our worship because whether you like it or not, you're kind of practicing for heaven right now. So worship. Another picture that we see from heaven is in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 15, and it tells us there won't be any more tears in heaven, the sadness, the grief. Verse 15 says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will not be sadness in heaven. It's going to be a great place. You know, I find it interesting as I go through the scriptures about heaven. I think almost every scripture that gives a glimpse of heaven some songwriter has written a song about. If you're someone who's been in church for a long time, you, you've heard them. And as you read these verses, you know, oh, I think there's a song about that. If you've been in church for a long, long time, you might have heard that old song, What a Day That Will Be. What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see When I look upon His face the one who saved me by his grace. Good songs, right? And you're, and you're remembering and you're thinking, oh, that's going to be an amazing day. So many of these scriptures, and why did they write songs about them? Because it stirs us to think and to realize there's something more. There's something greater. Revelation 19 and verse 11, we read about the fact that there'll be this time in heaven where we see Christ riding a white horse and leading some armies, but let's just read what it says. Verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. It's talking about Jesus. And the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Now there is a picture. Jesus on a white horse, armies following on white horses. Anybody here know how to ride a horse? couple of you. Okay, well, if you're going to be part of that army riding a white horse, you'll know how when you get to heaven. You'll, you'll be okay. <laughs> I grew up on a farm and we had horses. I love riding horses. So I think what an amazing picture. Here is Christ leading the armies of heaven on white horses. And of course, somebody wrote a song about that too. They wrote songs about them all. 
Has anybody heard that song uh, about the armies of heaven? He has fire in his eyes. Anybody hear that one? A sword in his hand. He's riding a white horse all across this land. And now he's calling out to you and me, saying, will you ride with me? Oh, and we say, yes, Lord, we will ride. And then the song starts. But it's a good song. Yeah, you can give God praise. He wants you and I to have a picture of what it will be like. And we want to be part of something, don't we? We want to be together. We want to be on his side, his team. Heaven's going to be amazing. It's going to be beyond what we can even think, beyond our imagination. In Revelation chapter 21, we read that heaven's walls and streets will be made of precious stones. Let's read what it says there in 21 verse 19. It says, The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. And the first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth oinx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. A whole bunch of precious jewels inlaid on the foundation. And in verse 21, the twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. Oh my goodness. I think about John trying to explain what he just saw. Apparently it was really bright. There was a lot of precious stones. I think about the gates of one pearl. I would love to see the clam that made that pearl. No, I just... Can you imagine though? I'm pretty sure God just made a pearl on his own to give you that big. But amazing to picture this place that God has prepared for you and I. It is something beyond words. And one other picture that we get, and this is important, I believe, is that heaven will have no darkness. Look at Revelation 22 and verse 3. It says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. So I've got to ask you a question. Who here was scared of the dark when they were a kid? Anybody? A couple of you. Okay. I asked it that way. I didn't want to say who's still scared of the dark, because, you know, nobody's putting their hand up. Let's be honest, the dark can be scary for young people, right? The dark can be scary for someone who's had a traumatic experience. But heaven will have no darkness. Isn't that something? Just the light of Christ permeating and shining through every crook and cranny is going to be a good place. Now when we talk about heaven and the pictures of heaven, I need to tell you something. The decisions we make now will affect our eternity. 
There are decisions that Scripture tells us that we do here affect after. You see, this life is so tiny compared to eternity. I remember someone once taking a rope that would have went out and around and across, and they put a little piece of tape here, and they said, this is your life. This is eternity. So much more, but sometimes we live like there's nothing else. However, decisions you make here will affect your eternity. Listen to this verse in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 for those who are following. Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. You see, Christ is telling the people that are listening, did you know that there are rewards in heaven? And he's talking at this portion of Scripture about giving, and he says when you're giving out, we know he blesses here and now, but he also says there's reward in heaven. Who here likes rewards? A couple of you are like, no, I don't want any rewards, please. Okay, that's okay. Okay, Okay, typically we do. I mean, when you're in school and you won the race or the championship, you'd get a flag or a ribbon, you know, and it felt good, right? It feels good to be rewarded when you work hard. You get a good mark on that essay. Sorry, students, I know school's not started yet, but it's coming in September. Okay. Most of them are all over there, so we're okay. Are you guys ready for school? You're like excited, pumped? She's like, no. Okay, well, the rewards part is good. Some of it's hard work, but rewards are good. And I believe that God wants you and I to know and to think about it. There's rewards there. So the things you do for Him here are not in vain. They're never wasted. He blesses you now. He rewards you in heaven. Listen to this verse in Matthew 7, 21, tells us that our obedience plays a part in our eternity. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So Christ again is telling them, hey, the things you're doing here do affect your eternity. Now, salvation That's Christ. He died on a cross for us. He paid the price completely. And we simply have to pray and ask for him to forgive us, to change us, and we are saved. It's that simple. But he's letting them know here that when you come to me, I have a good life for you, and I want you to follow my directions the best you can. And listen to me. Following Christ is doing it from your heart the best you can. And when he sees that, he knows, oh, that's one of mine. So the decisions you make now affect eternity. Now this next portion of scripture I'm going to read is not maybe a popular scripture, not one you read too often, but it's important as well. And here in this scripture, he lists some things. If you continue or live in these types of things, You don't make heaven your home. That's what it says. Let's read it. Galatians 5, 19. He says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. He's he's got a whole list here. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, 
Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here, Christ, through the writer, is telling us, I want you to deal with things in your life. Don't live there, but deal with them. Bring them to me. Let them be changed and fixed. Because by doing that, you're opening a door for the kingdom of heaven because he said these things can stop you. You know, it's funny as people, we sometimes put different things as worse than others. He listed some crazy things, but did you notice he even put in there division, selfish ambition? You know, the other really bad things that we heard in there like, oh, that's horrible. But yet he puts all these things. In other words, he's telling us no matter who you are, give me your stuff. Let me work on you. And by doing that, by making the decision to let Christ work on us, we guarantee also that we see him in heaven. So let him work on your stuff. In Acts chapter 4, I've got to read this because when we're talking about eternity, obviously we want to know, well, how do we get to eternity, the place called heaven? How do we get there? Maybe you've heard the term, there's many ways to God. It's a comforting thing to say, but it's not actually from the Bible. The Bible says there's only one way or only one name, as this verse says. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. I'm just going to go right to verse 12. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So there's no other name. There's only one name in heaven. And what is that name? The name of Jesus. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to spend eternity in that heaven, and it's through Jesus. Now, when I say that, I've got to explain a little bit. So, why is there only one? Why is Jesus the one that's named? Because Jesus is the only one who lived pure. He was God's only begotten Son. He lived pure, and He sacrificed His life for anyone who would accept it. Romans 6 and 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, He made a way. Did you see that it says it's a free gift? This is important here as we finish up today. It's a free gift if we'll receive it. And of course, I'm going to explain that to you in a little bit. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son only one, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And John 14 and verse 1. John 14, verse 1 to 6. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Thomas was one of Jesus' followers. His name meant doubter, but he was also pretty straightforward. He's like, 
You're saying, I have no clue what you're talking about, Jesus. Where are you going? And Jesus answered his question with this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself saying there's only one way to that eternity in that amazing place called heaven. Only one, and it's through Jesus. Now, Jesus paid that price for each of us on a cross, and he just asks us to receive it. And we can receive it freely and easily. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. So simply put, if you're like, okay, Christ died for me, I want that forgiveness, I want that eternity in heaven, you just use words because it's already free. But you're receiving it is simply using words saying, thank you, Lord, it's mine. And so because it's that simple, I always take opportunity if I can in our services to make opportunity for you to speak those words. So what we'll do is I'll lead you in a simple prayer, and it's just words. It's not a magical prayer or anything like that, but it allows you to speak words asking Christ to save you and to make heaven your eternal home. So we're going to do that today, and I'm going to ask the rest of the congregation to join me so no one feels singled out. But if you'll just close your eyes for a minute and repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again. I ask you now, forgive me of all I've done wrong. Make me new. I choose now to follow you. Amen.